Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Tyler is a gifted guitarist and songwriter who hails from and currently lives in Nashville, Tennessee. A one-time member of bands like Lamb Chop and Silver Juice, Tyler has been making beautiful albums under his own name over the past 13 years or so, including the soundtrack for the 2020 film First Cow and at least one duo album, 2021's impressive Lost Futures with Marisa Anderson. His latest release is a really cool live album, called Secret Stratosphere, which is credited to William Tyler and The Impossible Truth. Secret Stratosphere is out now on Merge Records, and William and I caught up again to discuss this record and other things like life in Nashville and Tennessee's recent gun violence tragedy and political upheaval in America generally. 
anti-intellectualism, selfishness, the fracturing of society, and how mass media contributes to it, truth and communication, why he wanted to make a live album, leading a band again, musicians and mental health, tour dates, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control which is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this podcast each and every week if you'd like to contribute in some way you can at patreon.com slash creative control and thank you in advance for thinking about doing that with additional support from blackbird music a wonderful record store with locations in edmonton and calgary alberta and very friendly staff will help you get whatever it is you need. You walk in there, you need something, they'll help you. Or you can go to their website, blackbird.ca, and you can order whatever you want. Say you want to order every single one of William Tyler's records. It's easy. Just type in William Tyler over there in the search box at blackbird.ca, see what it comes up. Maybe you have to go pick it up if you're in Alberta, in Calgary, or Edmonton. Maybe they'll send it right to your house via the, the mail. You never know. Visit blackbird.ca for more information. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 773 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented William Tyler, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, William. How's it going? It's going really well, Vish. Thanks. Good to hear. Where in the world are you today? I am in Nashville, Tennessee. Ah, lovely Nashville. How, well, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I've only been there one time. Is, is Nashville still lovely for you, William? It is. It's home. It's changed a lot in the last 10 years, as I'm sure you probably know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been kind of a magnet city for lots of different folks and, and, you know, it's, it's dealing with sort of uh growth problems, I would say in different ways, but, but it's a pretty great community for artists yeah. and creative people. And we happen to be, you know, kind of like the capital city of a state where the politics do not align with most of the people who actually live in this area. And so there's this like, especially in the last couple months there's been really just kind of a visceral yeah i don't know just like feeling of you know like who's actually running stuff you know like we had this we had this school shooting about a month ago that really galvanized people um locally for stronger you know um reform laws about guns and like most of the people who are in the state legislature are like very hardcore Republican gun nuts, you know, <laughs> it was just kind of like, well, yeah, but we're the ones saying we want this to be different because we're afraid for our kids, you know, like it's been, an, it's been an, an interesting time to be back the last few months, I would say. Yeah. I appreciate you going on about that. Cause as you were speaking, it did occur to me like, oh yeah, Tennessee has been in the news for not so great political reasons. But I will also tell you that you're not the first American 
artist I've spoken with who happens to live in like a red state who says, yeah, all the t- stuff you're talking about that everyone's talking about in the media on some small level, it doesn't impact me and my community because we don't align with all the stuff the media has glommed onto. So it's like a, it becomes strange because even in Canada, we heard so much about what was going on in Tennessee with uh, political representatives being suspended by, uh, yeah. particularly Democrats being suspended by Republicans. And we hear all that stuff and you're saying, well, firsthand, yeah, it sucks, but in a real, in an experiential way, it's not impacting you and your friends in a, like, I mean, it's, it sounds like it is, but it's not like, you can function. You can, you can get on with your days and, and try to find some optimism. Is that maybe a way of putting it? I think that it's an, an, an interesting position for a lot of people to be in here because since the shooting here and then the expulsion of the of a couple of the members of the legislature, it was so nakedly obvious that it's just like this is just almost like fascism, like yeah. like showing itself and so like we like a lot of us a lot of people here in nashville like we're showing up and protesting like at the capitol you know (laughs) like and that probably just feels good in any terms because it's like cathartic but it's also like it did get people's attention i think it got international attention to your point because it became a much bigger story it kind of makes me like I'm like, if the Republican Party had any sort of long game strategy here, like they totally did not do it very well. Because <laughs> like, every, it, I mean, it's just like, yeah, like this is obvious, like what the problem is. And um, I think in terms of the United States, you know, like, I mean, this might have been something that we talked about last time I was on with Marisa. I mean, it's just like, you know, the U.S. is basically – red states with blue islands Hmm. of lots of population centers. So there's a, there's a very central ideological battle between the most populated points of a place in a state with everything else. And it's like, there are some exceptions to that, but like basically that is the case in all 50 states. And it's been a really wild thing especially since 2016 to unpack as an American, you know, and, and I'm somebody who's very drawn to rural space. And, and like, I don't really, I don't like living in cities. Like I like being kind of out in the open and I was kind of have to remind myself like, yeah, like these places that I love driving through are not places where the voting, the voting patterns are reflective of, like what I feel emotionally, yeah. but you know, you know, it's funny. You said something earlier that I, I thought was rather astute and it's got me thinking, and I don't mean to generalize, but it does seem like for whatever reason, conservative parties, political parties, their leadership, they do seem to concentrate more on short term gains, financial or otherwise. And they don't really think about the long view, um, the future as much. Again, I'm, I'm really generalizing and that's probably not a hundred percent the case. But the more I think about it, that certainly seems to be the case for your country. It's like a bunch of this one side seems to just want to grab as much as they can. Screw the environment. Screw the climate change. 
we don't care about gun control because even though that's the next generation of people that we're losing every day in these horribly tragic ways, let's just get what we can get now. And meanwhile, I feel like, again, correct me if this is a gross generalization, progressives, Democrats tend to be like, we want to build something for the future always. And like, let's look beyond now. Do you see where I'm, again, I, I want to really qualify that I'm generalizing about two disparate groups of people, but is there something to what I'm saying, do you think? Oh, absolutely, Vish. I mean, like, I think I'm, I'm like a pretty good student of history, like on my own, like, and I know a lot about American history. And I think that, like, there's always been a, a a progressive strain of movement in this country that has been about how do we take care of the future? You know, whether that's abolition of slavery, women's suffrage, the environment, civil rights, gay and trans rights, whatever. Like, I mean, just all this stuff that's like – or gun control, you know, to be more direct to what we're talking about. And then there's this other side, which I I guess you would just, you know, define as the conservative side, mm-hmm. who doesn't really want anything to change. But the crazy thing to me as an American is observing, like, I don't, I don't, I really don't like subscribing to any kind of orthodox beliefs, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to politics, mm-hmm. because I think it's been so toxic, you know, with cable news and the radio and everything in the last 20 years. But like, it really does seem like at a very basic level, whatever form you want to call like socialism, like however that creeps into American life, like I guess in our country, it would be stuff like Medicare, Medicaid, social security, you know, paid leave for like parenting. Like it's, People the, the the conservatives fight it tooth and nail, and then once it passes, you know, to become a law, everybody wants it. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. so. I mean, that kind of is a testament to. Okay, well, like you know, I mean, I don't think one side. I don't think it's binary. I, I don't believe in any sort of binary situations when it comes to anything. You know, but like. It does seem like our country is kind of in this situation of sort of being hijacked between these two hierarchical kind of situations where, you know, obviously people are not being they're, – they're feeling like they're not being heard and they're voting against their own interests, mm-hmm. in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, economically, spiritually, emotionally, but that – you know, that is as much of a failure of the left as it is of just kind of like, I think America just surrendered to capitalism and in a very specific way within my lifetime. Yeah. Like I was born in 1979 and there was still like a real idea of a social safety net and it was much more akin to a model that I think is in line with like the rest of the free world, you know, Mm -hmm. like Canada, Europe, whatever. And since I've been alive, you know, like essentially since Reagan, this has just been a system that has been dismantled casually and deliberately by people 
in both parties, in both of our, uh, yeah. our prevailing parties, you know. And so now there's just this kind of almost like it's kind of like that metaphor of like, you know, boiling, boiling a frog slowly, you know, he didn't jump out of the water, you know, like if, if, if he doesn't understand that what's happening. Like so Americans feel really helpless and confused and angry for for very similar reasons at this point. But like their ideologies don't align. If that makes any sense, it does make sense. I think there was a time sociopolitically where you could give the opposite side of your ideology the benefit of the doubt that they wouldn't do something yes. so brazenly selfish or short sighted or that would be to the detriment of people. In your country's case in recent months, for example, deregulating the transportation industry so that trains, you know, are less safe. Like you would just assume no one would do that. But where I'm, and I think you've hit upon it and I don't know if there's much more to say about it, but I, I do think that the brazenness of the selfishness is where I'm, where people I think are feeling hopeless, just the open hostility and open nefarious nature of the policymaking is where things feel particularly fucked up. And, and like, I don't know how you go back from it. Because if if you if anyone is buys what I was saying about the dichotomy earlier, there is one side that seems inherently selfish, which is the one that's doing it for the here and now, the benefits of the here and now. And I think when you're doing any kind of future planning for the next generation of people, voters, whatever you want to call them, that is ultimately a selfless thing. This is beyond me and my current existence. I want to put forth ideas and policies that will benefit future generations. That is not selfish. So I guess what I'm saying is, <laughs> or what I'm asking you and William, let's keep it, let's let everyone know, we're not, we're not doctors. We're not politi- <laughs> we're just, political, we're just political dudes. wonks. We're just yeah, dudes. Yeah. 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 We're just dudes. Like that's fair. But I don't know if I've ever felt like as much of a stalemate sociopolitically as I have now. And I don't know exactly where it, you know, we all point to the pandemic as a huge turning point. And I think some of what we're talking about uh, in terms of the way people approach that has amplified behavioral situations that I think most of us couldn't possibly imagine existed. But do you just based on everything you just said and maybe where I'm going, like, do you see a, a way out of this? What is the way to there's protesting, there's voting, I guess. But what realistically, how do we get out of this? Do you agree it's a stalemate? I don't know what else to call it. Um- no, I, I I appreciate your perspective, and I think your analysis is very accurate. I think it is a stalemate in a very kind of simple way. I think a lot of that has to do with just like the fact that human beings are being bombarded with information from sources that are like wildly differential in terms of like what what the you know like the truth is supposed to be so like it, you know like in our country it's like i mean if you watch cnn or msnbc i guess that would be kind of like the liberal version mm-hmm. or you watch fox news which is obviously the conservative version i mean you're almost getting like opposite binary views of like what reality is mm-hmm. and so then it almost becomes like sports you know like 
Because it's like, I don't believe in binary things at all, like in anything. Like, but like, I think actually it's cool that there is something with sports where there's like a thing where it's like, oh, hey, there's two teams here. Um, that's not the way that like life works though. And so I think that the pant, like you, you said this, like the pandemic just sort of, reignited the divide i think it was there i think i i really think 2016 and trump winning Mm -hmm. was such a gut check for a lot of people on the left i I mean for me it wasn't surprising i i I thought he was going to win the whole time but then he was president and and i was like this is insane like how is this guy president Mm -hmm. (laughs) like this is like you know, yeah. but then when COVID happened, it was like, oh, okay, well, now there's this thing that's like, you know, there's no like, I mean, in my opinion at the time, you know, there was no like oppositional reality to it. It's just like there's scientifically there is a new disease that is out in the world that can kill people. Yeah. And the fact that that alone got politicized. I really do think that that just sort of um, calcified, for lack of a better term, the divisions. And um, I think as Americans, we're still dealing with kind of like the PTSD of that. And, you know, I I think there's fault on – I mean, you know, like obviously the the science was evolving the whole time. Like there's no like, you know, I mean (laughs) – it wasn't like somebody was like, okay, well, this is actually what's going on with this disease. You know, don't do this, do this. Like that evolved. That was like, you know, but the the fact that like I really think it was like insane that Trump made that a thing where he was like, Is this is not a big deal. Yeah. Like we should just open back up. Like if he had because the way most people I really feel are attuned to authoritarianism you know Mm -hmm. biologically you know probably because of family stuff Mm -hmm. you know i think like if he had been like hey this is you know this is the thing we got to shut down there's this disease and like it's from china and everybody's got to stay inside and like like if he'd been like the opposite of what happened like (laughs) i think he would have been reelected like, like, I think the only reason Joe Biden is our president right now is because of COVID. Interesting. Like, it's literally that simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just seemed like, oh, this guy has a little more common sense and compassion, you know? And so, like, a few more hundred thousand people voted for him. Yeah. But even that was contested, you know, because we had a riot or you know insurrection or whatever whatever they want to call it like you know that there was not like a like we do not live like i do not live in a country where there is a shared reality with about half of the people that i consider my you know compatriots or citizens fellow citizens but i i just so you don't feel alienated here i think this is true of citizens all around the world now you know, people have lost friendships and relationships due to the fractured uh, nature of how the, the the information they were willing to accept. Um, so it is really a situation where f- this all boils down to what people's relationship uh, is with facts and logic. Yeah. yeah. 
And, you know, as a fan of comedy and satire for most of my life, you know, it's telling that the, the that has, you can't tell anymore. You can't, the, the common phrase you would hear uh, as people did things was, man, you can't make this shit up. <laughs> Which, as a fan of comedy and satire, I, I it, that hit me on a profound level. That's true. This seems like a sketch. This seems like the movie Idiocracy. This seems like all the stuff we were able to laugh at collectively. Uh, you know, the know-it-alls. Like, oh, remember that the rise of mockumentary sitcoms uh, over the last twenty years, from The Office onward, and all those Christopher Guest movies where, you know, these people, these portrayals of people who are so up their own ass and so egomaniacal and so just so, so sure of themselves with having no right to be so. It's all come to pass. It's like people didn't view it as satire. I think the way some of us did in terms of, you know, just uh, different levels of media literacy. Like I feel like a lot of that, those kinds of people are now in power. The the jokes, like the people we would all laugh at became the the talking heads on TV or the politicians, the leaders. Like, look at your. Sorry, I didn't, I just wanted to say this isn't only happening in America. The the fringe, yeah. the so called fringe and cartoonishly stupid political figures that we keep hearing about in your news cycles uh, around the world. Like your, I don't want to say all their names, but I think you know who I'm talking about. They every week there's some buffoonery or some lack of decorum from some of these folks. Like clowns, absolute clowns have gained power because I uh, the only thing I can think of is some people took the things that were satire or laughable like uh, a failed millionaire become millionaire becoming like a game show host people took that mm-hmm. more seriously than we th- thought they would and so it has just led to this bizarre intellectual decline and now we're all paying for it with lives people are losing lives over this bullshit I did not think we were yeah. going to go down all of these roads, William, but then I, uh, knowing us, I, th- maybe I should have remembered <laughs> this is where we go. But I, I just don't know. I think we both agree. There's no solid way out of this. I appreciate you acknowledging what I'm seeing, but I want to uh, once again convey to you that it, this is not an American phenomenon anymore. It's happening here in Canada. It had, God, remember our mayor, Doug, or what? No, that guy, not Doug Ford. We got a premier, Doug Ford in Ontario. His brother, remember Mayor Rob Ford from Toronto? Yes. Yeah. See, you're not. That that was almost like an American stereotype of a political figure. And, you know, it's it's I'm just saying this is spreading. This this I don't know how to what it's like a cult of I don't know. It's not I don't want to well, disparage I, I, people, but people are not smart is the way I could I, I just yeah. I read a really interesting a book recently um about the kind of the phenomenon of like television. So it was written in the eighties. It was, it's called, um, uh, what is it called? Am- amusing ourselves to death. Hmm. And he's a social scientist and he wrote this book in like 1985, 1986, I think like, I mean, this is like, you know, decades old at this point where he was just assigning this sort of like decline in intellectual reasoning to, our, you know, as a modern society, like our dependence on radio and television, mm-hmm. like this was before the internet, <laughs> like, yeah. but like he talks about like how in America specifically 
printed media and the written word and oratory like had they were so important for so long and people really like thought differently like they thought more intellectually now it might have been a minority of people but like you almost can't imagine kind of the way he puts it is like you can't imagine like Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, like their debates, like that would not happen now. Like no one would have the attention span for it or the verbular comprehension, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he, you know, he puts the blame on television. It's just like, okay, this is a thing. It's in everybody's house and it is entertainment, but it's also selling you something. And it is contextualizing all of this incredibly radically different information like in a way yeah. like like oh there was like a mass murder today and oh there was like a famine in africa and like oh here's a commercial for budweiser and like here's sesame street and it's all just like how are you supposed to emotionally compartmentalize that without feeling just sort of overwhelmed and i think the, the i think social media and the internet has just i mean put that stratospherically past that point you know yeah. i think I think that that we don't have these shared realities that we used to have. I don't know. I mean, I can only speak as an American and and as someone who, you know, grew up. I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think my senior year, we had the internet, like, in high school. Like, I sort of, like, got to computers, like, at 17 or 18. But, Mm. you know, at this point, there are no shared realities. There's, like, whatever reality mode you want you know, there is something for that, even if it's virtual reality or AI. And so like, I don't know how we organize a society that's really caring and galvanized supportive around that. You know, there was like a brief window at the onset of the pandemic where I thought we were all helplessly galvanized. Same. Like we, we all had to be like, well, we don't know what's happening. And so there, and I, I thought it was interesting. And I've talked about this before that the earth itself, because we were all shell shocked and couldn't do the stuff we normally do, the earth itself started to, uh, exhibit uh, healing, S- clear skies, yeah. species, animal yeah. species returning from wherever they've been hiding. And, uh, yep. <laughs> it, it was really, it was a really weird time. So like you can blame it on a fractured media landscape, perhaps like what you're describing about how uh, in a in a day, uh, if you're who was it on my show recently? Carl Newman from the New Pornographers was talking about the Twitter feed being so ridiculous that in the morning a news story breaks uh, and it's a tragedy, and then as the morning goes on, there is that kind of reacting emotionally and intellectually to the to the tragedy. Then maybe midday it's politicized. Then by the end of the day, people are joking about it. And it's all the same information and it's on the same platform. And as we were talking about television, I can't help but think of it like, you know, I get home from school. In my case, bizarrely, as a young person, the syndication that I was interested in was like a weird block of The Simpsons, Cheers, Night Court, like these pretty adult oriented shows. But it was sort of similar, like what you're describing. The show would be on. It would be sort of some measure of cynical escapism in my case. And then the commercials would come on. And then within the commercials, there would be the news break. Coming up at six, three people dead. 
an explosion and you'd like, oh, what? And then cheers or whatever would start again. So there's something about maybe the platforms, <laughs> like everything's in the same. And, and so you become a bit desensitized. Oh, I guess this is just part of watching TV. Oh, I guess this is just part of having a social media feed. You're going to get extremes throughout the day and you end up as a human being processing them all as though they're the same. There's no scope to anything. Again, I'm not an expert. We are not doctors. But does what I'm saying is that I, I guess I'm just sort of echoing what you're saying, but does that resonate with you that it's maybe oh, yeah. the way we're consuming things and they're all kind of the same? Yeah, I think that, that I think that at a very basic level, we as a species, like as human beings, don't have the spiritual and intellectual fortitude for what our technology has wrought like yes. we like it it's completely out of sync and so in a weird way i mean this kind of gets back into like this almost gets into like marshall McLuhan territory like we're back to like almost like stone age stuff yeah you know like yeah. i think i think of emojis as hieroglyphs like we're we're just like we're we're almost into this like weird not pre-verbal but maybe pre-alphabetic version of communication and but yeah. we're still using all the same tools and um i think that really is like fucking everybody up on a very basic level you know? <laughs> yeah i would agree with that and i don't know if we're pre-verbal or post-verbal at the moment you know what i'm saying but of it's course. it's an interesting segue uh because we're talking about an instrumental album huh see what i did there ah, i love it that's why you're a pro. <laughs> no, I think it's telling because, you know, it's funny as you were, we were talking about stuff and I think swirling around what we were talking about is uh, satire, facts, what is real, what is not. On this uh, brilliant new live album of yours, uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting banter. Uh, and I, I, I know uh, that it's humorous. Can you uh, illuminate what I'm describing to people about some of your banter between between song banter? on this otherwise brilliant uh, instrumental live album, Secret Stratosphere. What can you tell us about what you chose to do on this evening uh, that this uh, concert was captured? Well, I mean, to be honest, it was a very... It was a very casual, um, I don't want to say intimate environment, but it kind of was. It was like we played at this... Myself and the band played at this place that was like a kind of like a micro beer brewery in Huntsville, Alabama, which is a fairly small town, like smaller than Nashville. Mm -hmm. And our friend, our friends had set it up and it was like, I just sort of like was intuited. I was like, I think we should record this. Like, because it was also the first show that we had done as a group. Might've actually been the first show I had done anyway, since lockdown, you know, it was just kind of like, it was like post, Everyone had just gotten the vaccine kind of vibe, like May 2021, um, I'm, I, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was kind of like I wanted to document that because I felt like it deserved it. And I didn't really know what was going to come from that. Um, but, you know, there were probably 50 people there at the most. And so, you know, I... I do try to incorporate a lot of humor into the way I talk in between songs, like, you know, when I'm playing solo or with the band, because the music is, is instrumental and sort of 
you know, a little cerebral at times, but not, you know, mm-hmm. like not super brainy necessarily. It's just like, I just feel like I like the sort of check marks of having just some like funny things to think about, like when you're going into a song, you know, or coming out of it. And, and I mean that if I was an audience member, that would help me. And so I think as a performer, that's something I've kind of leaned on mm-hmm. um, for that reason. So just to specify, and I don't want to ruin anything for anyone who hasn't dug into the record, you do identify these songs as maybe not being your own. Is that just a general way of putting it? Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, I'm not sure like how that how you mean that actually. To be totally I feel right. like in a couple of occasions you suggest songs that you play, which as far as I can tell are all composed by you, it might be uh, covers or something by oh, others. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I mean, they're all like, I, I feel like I have like Genesis points for a lot of the melodies I come up with that are definitely pre-existing things, you know, hmm, okay. um, even if it's just like five notes and like that might be how I come up with a, or a riff or something that like, then that becomes a song, but I don't know. Oh, so there's some for you again, I don't want to ruin the surprise of listening to the experience no, but no, for, no. You, for, for you. It's a little bit of a, a nod to an influence when you say, well, that was our version of blah, blah, blah by blah, 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 or whatever you say. I'm, I'm, I'm not yeah, only yeah. paraphrasing, I'm barely using words, but you, you, <laughs> when you, when you make those little jokes, which I found amusing when you would cite these other, uh, artists, uh, to you, that's not necessarily, wow, I think what we're hitting upon is satire where I don't know. <laughs> There's a grain of truth to your joke is what I'm, I guess where I'm landing. Is that a way of putting it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of feel like that a lot of what comes to me when I'm writing songs, I mean, they're definitely echoes of pre-existing things. Sometimes it might be more obvious than other times. And usually it's a weird, like, conglomeration of things, you know, Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. but like, you know, I also... I've had this experience as a touring musician, like where, you know, like so much about human life is just like trying to relate your experience in the simplest way possible to a stranger where you're trying to establish some trust so you can have dialogue, you know? So like for me, it's like, I don't really know like what, you know, like I, like I make instrumental music and it it is primarily guitar based. But it's like I don't really like when I when I meet somebody like an Uber driver or just like somebody at a show or a bar, like I don't necessarily want to get into like, you know, well, do you know about Brian Eno? Do you know about Terry Riley? Do you know about mm-hmm. like Fahey and Sandy Bull? You know, so I just think like, oh, well, like what are some things that pretty much everybody can like understand? And so like my usual response is that I make music that sounds kind of like the mellow parts of Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin without any lyrics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People are kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, like, and I think that's not inaccurate, you know, but it's just sort of like, I, I really, it's important to me to create a safe relational space to talk about what your art is, you know, without like trying to explain it too much, but also not try not, not to be dismissive, and I probably err on the side of that, but 
you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I feel like, like you and I could like go super deep on like esoteric musical stuff, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but like when you're like, just trying to like have a five minute conversation with somebody about like what you do for a living and you're like, I play guitar and you're like, Oh, do you sing? I'm like, well, I don't sing hmm. actually like, this is what I do. I'm like, how do I describe this in a way that's not going to like, that's going to like, close the conversation but like not make it weird you know <laughs> and, and, and it's like it's like well, yeah like acoustic like yeah it's like dave matthews but like when he's not singing like i don't you know what i mean like i'm just always trying to find like the the not the lowest but like the the most obvious common denominator to just be like this is what it's kind of like spiritually even if you haven't heard it yet, you know. No, it's a it's a certain. I appreciate that. It's a there's a certain nobility to providing some potentially more accessible points of entry for those. You know, you're doing it for 50 people in a room. I gather those 50 people were familiar with you, but it's there's a chance not all of them were. And it, I, to me, it was it came across comes across rather as as funny. And um, but what I'm learning now is that it might also be a bit instructive. Um, for those who were like, oh, maybe that was a song by so and so. Uh, that makes sense to me now. And then maybe they figure out later that, oh, it's not that, but there's a lineage here. Anyway, I'm, I, I also think it's funny given our earlier uh, discussion about facts and the way people process information that you named your backing band the impossible truth. Am I right to yeah. think there's some humor in that? Well, I mean, there is, but, it actually was very specifically the idea of Luke Schneider who plays pedal steel in our group. And the two of us have been friends for like 20 years and collaborators for a lot of that time in different bands. And he had said to me, like, I remember like in January of last year, Mm kind of like, Hey, why don't we just call this thing something else? Like it's not the William Tyler band. Like it's, it's like Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Like it has its own yeah. delineation that we're like, people are like, oh, that's what this is, you know? And I, I thought that was such a brilliant idea. And it was not my idea. It was his idea. Hmm. And we kind of went back and forth on like what to call it. And then everybody just sort of concurred on Impossible Truth as being like a really cool band name. And I mean, that is an uh, album title of one of my solo records, but it, it just felt like a cool, like, cause it could be like, well, like it could be like the truth, you know, almost like the time, like Prince yeah. or, or something, you know, just like, but like it, it, it's been really healthy, I think, and cool for us as a band to sort of keep this thing a little bit separate from like whatever the William Tyler solo stuff mm-hmm. is or collaborative stuff with people because it is a very specific thing and a def- different dynamic. And like most of it is my music interpreted through this, you know, form of a band, but it's not like, it is a very collective thing. It's, and, and, and I don't, I, I didn't, I never felt comfortable just being like, yeah, it's me, William Tyler with a band. Like I, sure. that felt a little not, you know, like not accurate or something. So sure. Yeah. I like the fact that it's kind of has its own identity and I would hope that that would just grow and that we kind of build on that. I appreciate that. You mentioned Luke. Uh, Did you want to talk about the other members of the impossible truth? Oh, absolutely. So Jack Lawrence uh, plays bass guitar. 
he's been in god i mean so many bands like he was in the greenhorns um raconteurs dead weather like he's kind of been in the third band jack white world for Mm -hmm. a long time Mm -hmm. has lived in nashville for a while and we've been friends for years but didn't i can't remember when like he started playing with us it was you know four or five years ago i think no it was before covid so yeah it was definitely four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah i mean he's just the best he's amazing and then uh luke schneider who i mentioned is the pedal steel guitar player and he's i mean he is and has been a, a session musician sideman for a lot of pretty notable people like especially Margot price hmm. and uh right before covid he was doing orville peck's kind of touring okay thing yeah that kind of all fell apart because of covid obviously mm-hmm. but luke also really has like a, a a cool very specific very focused lane of like ambient pedal steel based music that he does under his own name and it's it's great like he has one album out uh, on third man and um he's working on a, another but he and i have been friends for years and years and um and then brian kotzer is the drummer mm-hmm. and brian and i also have been friends for you know 20 something years but we were members of, of the live version of the silver jews mm-hmm. uh together for for you know, whatever that was like three or four years mm-hmm. and really got to be tight during that period. And then just stayed close. And he's just amazing. I mean, like, I, I just feel so grateful to be in a situation with these guys who are just like the most incredible version of like whatever musician, you know, also friend. I mean, it's just like, it. I haven't been in a band since like, I mean, I've been in a lot of bands, mm-hmm. uh, but like I haven't really been in a band where I was sort of the band leader yeah. since I was like, I mean, in my early 20s, maybe. So it's been kind of interesting to kind of like revisit that, de- that dynamic, yeah. like with people yeah. at, in your 40s, so like where everybody's kind of like, well, you know, we want to do this, but we also like, we're not going to crash on couches. So we probably have to be a little more selective about how we tour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that's great. That's great to hear that you're, I I think it's always nice to kind of know that about yourselves and know that about yourself, like, and and have that experience of leading a band for the first time in a while. We've talked about the impossible truth. And as I scan the track listing of this live record, uh, there is a a song from that album, impossible truth, uh, which came out about 10 years ago. It's called, uh, we can't go home again. There's a completely unreleased song that I'm I wasn't familiar with uh, before this record. It's called Area Code Six Hundred One, uh, and then the rest of the uh, songs on here kind of uh, cross your discography. It's it's sort of all over the place. A, c- a couple of things. Well, I guess the majority of it's from maybe modern country, if I'm correct. I think I'm correct on that. Yeah. So, so just in terms of song selection, I, I gather. I kind of just want to get at a couple of things here because your earlier uh, assertion that you made an, a, a, a sort of a concerted effort to capture this particular performance, uh, you had intention. It's not some like happenstance board recording. It sounds amazing. It sounds like you had that all planned out and you made that call. So that's 
that's an interesting thing. And I, I gather what you're saying about maybe where that impulse came from in terms of song selection, what you were going to play. Was it just stuff that you guys had sort of made ridiculously great by playing uh, shows together? Or was there some intention behind this cross section of, of your catalog uh, on this night? No, we had, um, we had played uh, a few times as a unit, I mean, not that much though, because like, like our our actual like live appearances have been pretty sparse. Yeah. Um, we the particular lineup we have now of the band um, hadn't really happened until I had moved to L.A. a few years ago, where I, I was I was in Los Angeles for like five years. So like I was coming back and forth to Nashville and LA, but like, you know, so like there was that. So we would do shows kind of like once a year or like twice a year, but we did have a repertoire that was reflective of like kind of what you're saying mm-hmm. and just, you know, based on the discography and, and, you know, like I'm really hoping that, you know, cause we started, you know, like since the album has come out, we are starting to try to plan like tours and, or just whatever, like more than one show at a time, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and, and so I'm also like really consciously thinking about like writing music for the group and maybe everybody writing together and it being a really collaborative process and like a more active thing yeah. in terms of the set. I mean, it was just like, yeah, it was, I, I think we probably practiced like once or twice and then, you know, all kind of drove down. I think we all probably drove down separately <laughs> to Huntsville for the show. Cause it's like an hour and a half from Nashville. It's not that far. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like very reflective of a moment, Yeah, you know, but I would love the group to have like what we have usually done in the past is sort of done like a double set. Like we'll do a set of like the internal stuff that like I write and then we'll do like, another set that's five or six, seven songs, whatever of covers of just like, whatever, you know, like with different friends as vocalists and like that part feels so cathartic and cool to me because it's almost like having a wedding band or something. It's just like, you know, it's like, you know, get Kurt from lamb chop or, you know, different people, you know, like sit in and like, sing some random cover and i don't know that part of it feels kind of like almost the most fun to me um hmm. but i like incorporating within the context of like what we do as like an instrumental kind of i mean i don't, I don't like the phrase jam band nobody does but like that kind of is the world it lives in and 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 so yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, I think this record's great and uh, the band does sound on fire. So I'm excited to hear that you're pondering what the future for the band itself might look like. As we're speaking, it seems to me that you're going on a solo tour of Europe in uh, May. And depending on when people listen to this, I'm going to say May of 2023. They could be listening in like 2027. You never know. So in, <laughs> I hope you so. never know. It, it happens sometimes. People say, Hey, I find, I heard that episode you did. And I say the one from eight years ago. I guess that's the nature of the internet, which is fine. I don't have a, I'm not complaining, by the way, for anyone listening. Go back, find things. All I wanted to get to, and I'm sorry I started rambling about this. 
Uh, William, you've got solo shows, I think, from between around May 3rd and May 18th, at least, is what I'm seeing uh, in Europe. Is that accurate? Yes. Nice. Yeah. So, but they're, but as you said, they're solo, they're solo shows. Yes. They're not, they don't involve the band. Uh, do you have yeah. other future, uh, and so, sorry, you referenced, uh, pondering the future with this band. Uh, do you have other future plans beyond these tour dates or anything else you want to talk about? Uh, just so people know what you're up to. Um, we're working on some stuff in August. I think going up to the East Coast of the States, not necessarily to Canada yet, but mm. like, you know, trying to do some regional stuff and then some like Northeast stuff like Philly and New York and Boston, stuff like that. And everybody is pretty flexible and on board with doing things. So I'm just trying to kind of honor that and work within that space mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and deal with the, you know, obvious financial and logistical complications of living in the COVID era. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just, it's really made touring hard, man. It, it really has. Like it's, it's, you know, Marisa like navigated it as well as you can. And we still had stuff that was just like, yeah, that got booked. Now it's not, it's not going to happen now. You know, like yeah, just yeah. that is the deal, you know? Yeah. I hear this all the time, as you might guess from people, but I also hear the other side of it. Like, oh no, everything went fine. It was fine. Like it was more expensive, but it went fine. But then there's also people and you see it. If you just follow your favorite artist, you'll see that they have hiccups and things aren't going great sometimes. But then, like I say, other people, smooth sailing, no flight delays, no nothing. Everything's fine. No one got sick. So I think it's just a roll of the dice. Is that a fair way of putting it? It's very much so. Yes. I think it's very much just yeah. chance at this point. Yeah. I wish that it kind of, we could sort of societally get to some point of like, you know, liability versus what's actually yeah. just, this is the only thing I've ever experienced and uh, assuming for you and most of the people listening where it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, okay, if you have this thing, regardless of whether you're symptomatic or how sick you are, like it shuts everything down, you know, like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. doesn't, yeah. I mean, I have been on tour for, as I've said, you know, over 20 years and there have been many times where I like I got sick on the road and I got other people sick and we just yeah. like went through it you know and like this is this is obviously not that like it's mm. so I think it's it you know it, it's really shone a light on just like the fragility of like what the music business is for a lot of people mm -hmm. especially at like a level that's not you know there where there's no um, safety net, you know, for, you know, it's just like, oh, you canceled a tour where like that was what you were going to make, you know, that yeah. was how you were going to live for a couple months. And a, a lot of people on so many different sides of the spectrum in any genre are dealing with that. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. Yeah. And I think there's a larger conversation to be had about kind of the mental health costs of that for, for everybody, regardless of whether you're in the creative industry or not, but, um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's just gotten a lot harder, but I will say the upside of that is that people I think are a lot more forgiving and more flexible. And so there's kind of this almost like tacit understanding of like, Oh, well, this isn't going to work out 
because of this. And people are kind of like, okay, that's fine. Like, instead of acting like, you know, (laughs) you know, you you didn't show up to the wedding, you know, or something, you know, like (laughs) I, I want to say, William, that I really appreciate you articulating all of that because, uh, both because I think it's very important to do so, but I will confess to you that I have gone on little runs like you just went on and the feedback I get is that I'm being depressing. And like people don't don't even want to talk about this stuff. And I'm not a touring musician, but I talk to enough that I feel like I'm relaying these experiences to my listeners. But I, I, I get, I'm, I'm telling you, people are like, why are you still talking about this? And I'm like, well, cause it's not done. And there's still long-term impacts. Like what you're describing isn't necessarily the long-term neurological or cardiovascular stuff that people don't want to think about. It's the fact that as a musician and as an industry, this infrastructure we're in is being attacked by this too. Does that make, like, do you know where I'm coming from? Like, I just want to say, I I appreciate what you're saying, but there is, I know this because I get the feedback that people are like, can't you just talk about the music? Can't you just talk about, why do you got to talk about what's going on? I'm like, well, it's the material conditions of all the people I'm talking to are being impacted by this and they're being impacted by it. So I'm not just saying uh, thank you for talking about it so I don't have to. <laughs> I'm saying it's. I think it's important that people hear voices like yours. Uh, and I, I, I hope that's clear to you, that I appreciate what you said. I appreciate you saying that, Vish. Um, and I, yeah. I do think it is like part of a broader conversation about vulnerability and accountability that that need to be addressed and at a time when we have the society, which maybe is, you know, like I can only see it through an, an American lens to a degree, yeah. but it's yeah. so self-absorbed. It's so narcissistic. It's so about consumer orientation and self-promotion. And yet we're in this such, such a fragile place, like as a planet, as a society, you know, like more than ever, we need like a sense of community. And um, I think people are grasping for that without really even knowing that, that, that they, yeah. you know. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't mean to make a, a silly joke, but speaking of uh, consumption and self-promotion, Secret Stratosphere is out now <laughs> on, <laughs> on, yes, on, on on Merge Records and people can learn more about it there. William, uh, given what you just said, I'm going to still give you an opportunity to plug some stuff. If people want to learn more about this record or you or anything else, uh, are there places they should go using the internet? Uh, places you'd prefer they go, I should say. Um. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, probably I'm, I'm, I'm the most active on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And so like shows, things like that get usually get promoted through that before anything else. And yeah, the records available through merge. I'm not sure what like international distribution is like right now, but um, oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's definitely different for Canada than it is for Europe. But we get our we get our merge records up here just fine usually. So that's I what don't I mean. know. Yeah, yeah, that's what, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um. But no, I mean, like, yeah, no, it's I'm I'm kind of like I mentioned earlier. Uh, hopefully, the band. Hopefully, we're going to be able to do some more live shows like later this summer and into the fall and i'm working on solo stuff which is kind of completely unrelated but not really sure when that's going to be coming out probably next year and um, okay yeah i don't know i'm just 
I'm just trying to stay in the mix, you know, just like, uh, I mean, I'm more than ever just sort of don't take for granted the short attention span economy of the world we live in. And um, I'm just grateful to be able to take part in it and, you know, getting, getting paid to play music is just like a blessing, you know, it really is. So, well, on behalf of all of your fans, I can say we're grateful you're doing it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting that you are. So I'm glad you're in the mix, so to speak as well. So thank you for all your work and for continuing to, to, to make this great music and play shows and all these sorts of things. Uh, William, uh, if there's a song from, uh, this live record that we can go out on. I wonder if you can choose one for us and maybe tell us why it came to mind. I will say, I'm actually, I'll pick the first track, uh, which is called um, Our Lady of the Desert, which is a song from, uh, originally was on Goes West, mm-hmm. the last studio records I did. Um, and it is kind of, a, it's a very simple kind of chordal frame of a song actually sort of after i wrote it i realized like oh this is totally like jack straw by the grateful dead (laughs) which is so funny we're just like oh of course like i ripped off some obvious song but it's a cool (laughs) format for like the band and it kind of yeah i i I don't know i i would i would pick that one yeah no it's a nice one to go out on and uh what better way to introduce this album than the the first song it makes sense to me so uh, from the brilliant new uh, live album Secret Stratosphere, this is a song called Our Lady of the Desert, which uh, originally appeared on the uh, William Tyler album Goes West, which I believe came out in the year 2019. Uh, yep. And uh, But this is, like I said, this is like a, a new version, if you will, a brand new version, so to speak, from Secret Stratosphere by uh, this great band, William Tyler and the Impossible Truth. So check it out. William, thank you so much for returning to the show. I always enjoy our conversations. Uh, I appreciate your insights and analysis and uh, that we go in these directions. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for this. I, I hope you're doing uh, well and enjoyed this to some extent, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. <laughs> thank you, Beach. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all you do.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's very nice to have William back on the show. William Tyler, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation, William. And uh, the songs you heard, or the, the you actually got to hear a whole song there from Secret Stratosphere. Thank you, William, for being back on uh, Creative Control. Uh, this is the 773rd episode of Creative Control. Can you believe that? Is anyone else counting? I'm the only one counting, I bet. Maybe you can not believe it because you don't care as much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I should count them. I just started counting them, and now I can't stop. 773rd episode of Creative Control, uh, the podcast, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get such things, podcasts. If you can't find an episode you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook. There's a page. You can also... Follow the show on Twitter currently at Vish Creative, or you can follow me currently on uh, Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. That is the primary source of revenue for all of the work that goes into this podcast. And uh, I, li- I like doing the podcast. It's fun. It is a, what do they call it? A labor of love, which means you don't get a lot of money, I guess. It's work. And you love it. Why do they put that little spin on it? Well, that's I guess that's what it is. Anyway, like a lot of the musicians and artists you hear on this show, uh, uh, I do this uh, because I feel compelled to do it. And there's not always a lot of dough. So if you feel like uh, putting a, a, a flexible monthly donation forward at my Patreon, that would be great. $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And you get episodes earlier than everybody else. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt at that level... Just message me on Patreon, and I'll get you one while supplies last. Again, patreon.com slash Control for more info about that. Thanks again to the wonderful Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about. And order records right from their website, actually, at blackbird.ca. also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks, as always, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with William. I love talking to William. He's been on the show a few times. He's wonderful. So thanks for checking this out. Uh, Thanks for subscribing to this podcast or following it and, and telling your friends all about it. Maybe they'll do the same things as you. I don't know. 
Otherwise, I will talk to you very soon. I am just watching uh, the Denver Phoenix game, and let me just see if I can give you a quick update on the score. Oh, they think they shut down my game. I was using a little app thing, and now I don't know what the... Why did it shut down the game? Is, did I shut it down? Because of the... I don't know. It's gone. Anyway, it's... Uh, oh, now there's like a guy talking. Anyway, by the time you hear this, this game will be over. I can't tell you the score. I was trying to do a live score thing for you, and it's... Oh, it's 73-70 Phoenix over Denver at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, there you go. So that's uh, relevant information. Wow, this is a long outro. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.